Well, let's um, go ahead and open with a word of prayer, and then we'll get into the lesson for today. Um, I'll pray. Father, we thank you so much for our opportunity to be here today. We thank you for this comfortable place to meet and for uh, your word that you've spoken to us. You've preserved your word and you've given us the capacity to understand. We thank you so much that it is not owed to us, but it has been freely given. And we thank you. We thank you for our salvation in Jesus Christ. We ask that today we would understand more of that understand more of who you've designed us to be, that we might better serve you in all the things that we're doing. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for who you are and what you've done in the world, what you're continuing to do in the world. Pray that we would honor you with all the things that we say and do and think today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's review what we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks. Oh, um, I need to. There we go. Um, we've been talking about mankind and how mankind was originally created. God made Adam and Eve in his image that they would subdue the earth and represent his nature. That they would subdue the earth and represent his nature. Thoughts or questions on that? We're going back from a couple weeks ago and even a week or two before that. Does that make sense to you? Is that clear? That that's how we were created and what we were created to do? Okay. And people exist both as material and immaterial beings, and these two aspects do not exist apart from each other. They are absolutely unified. Remember we talked about when you sin, you can't say, well, that was just, that was just the flesh part of me that was doing that. The soul part of me is really good and doesn't do that kind of stuff, right? That's not how we're made. We, whether we're, we're sinning, whether we're obeying, whether we're acting unrighteously, whether we're acting righteously, we're doing it as a holistic being. We are immaterial and material. We're souls and bodies. We're spirits and bodies. Uh, we are heart, mind, soul, spirit, and body. So these two aspects don't exist apart from each other. They are absolutely unified. That's how God created us. Good on that. Clear? Good? Okay, because what we're doing for that first lesson of anthropology, that's what we're studying, the study of man, we are defining who we are created to be, how God created us. Because if you don't understand that, you won't understand what got messed up by sin entering the world. Okay? So we're, we're building up the positive case of who, who man is before sin. And now today we're going to get into sin entering the world. We're going to talk about how sin entered the world and what that did to us. Okay? It's very important that you understand all this first. In their original state, man and woman existed as perfect beings in a perfect environment. Well, my goodness. How amazing. How amazing. Uh, we are so unfamiliar with that, aren't we? Uh, because sin has entered the world. So let's start talking about sin. It was all happy and cheery, and now the clouds have come. We're going to talk about sin. And if you've missed this, this uh, thing on your handout, I think that's the first thing you have. So follow along if you're taking notes. In their original state, man and woman existed as perfect beings in a perfect environment. Okay? The study of sin can be referred to as homartology. <laughs> it's... Difficult to pronounce uh, with a straight English transliteration because the Greek word for sin is hamartia. 
hamartia. Does anybody know what that word means? Have you heard it in a sermon before where someone's defined sin and said, sin means to what? Have you heard this before? Yeah, no, <laughs> no. Um, it's perhaps they've you've been told it's an archery term. What'd you yeah. say, Brittany? Hit the mark. <laughs> yeah, it means miss the mark. to miss the mark. Yeah. To sin means to miss the mark. That's what the word literally means. The idea is one of loss. A person attempts to achieve, the person fails, and now there is no share of the victory. That word means to miss the mark. So what is the mark, uh, when we're talking about sin, the mark that has been missed, what is that mark? Perfection. Yes. Based on? God. There you go. So this, the standard is intrinsic to God's nature. We've already done several lessons on the nature of God, and we can sum up God's nature by saying he is what? It's an H word that has four letters. God is? Holy. holy, right. That's how we sum up who God is. God is holy. When we say that sin means to miss the mark, that means you've not achieved God's holiness. You've missed God's holiness. Right? That's what the word for sin literally means. Now we need to discuss, before we get into any more of how humans sin, why humans sin, all of that, we need to talk about the origin of sin. And this is a question that you will deal, deal with in your life. You will have people ask you, whether it's a child or an unbelieving neighbor, whoever it may be, you will have someone ask you, where does sin come from? Why, or why did God create sin? That's the way a lot of people phrase it. So are you prepared to answer that question from Scripture? Hopefully after today's lesson, you will be somewhat equipped to answer that question from Scripture. Where does sin come from? First question to ask you, I want to hear your feedback. Did God create sin? No. Nope. Got a couple of no's? Any opposing opinions? Is it, yeah. Is it a creation or just a condition? Did God create sin? No, it was good. It was very good, right? Okay, so then where'd the sin stuff come from? Hi, April. In the month that bears your name, we see you again. Very good. Glad to see you. Okay, it's in our nature, but let's back up because before it got into our nature, it, it, it came from somewhere, right? I mean, you've you got Genesis 1 and 2, God creating and looking and saying, very good, meaning no sin. Remember, perfect beings in a perfect environment. Right, so man was told by God and man that they were to do or not do certain things. And when they disobeyed, and sin came into the world because there was disobedience. But sin existed before that, right? And we're going to get into that today. Before Adam and Eve sinned, there was a tempter who tempted them. And so, oh, go ahead. Well, Walker de Mosa. Well, angels fell from heaven. Yes, yes. The angelic realm. It, this happened in the angelic realm first, Melissa. Well, never mind. My thoughts aren't. So, it, it, well, here's where the where it kind of goes. If we say no, God didn't create sin, then is the answer sin created itself? That's probably not a satis satisfactory answer, is it? So let's let's start looking into what the Bible has to say. But I think there's another question for you. Yeah, there you go. 
Is evil as old as good? No. No. Okay, good. Good, good. That's the right answer. So I, I won't torture you on that one. I'll just say that's well, what you just said is correct. Um, there is a teaching out there called dualism. Anybody know what dualism is? Yeah, uh, perhaps you've seen this before. It used to be really popular, right? The, the yin-yang symbol, one of those is usually filled in dark. You've got a, a dark circle and a light circle. Um, anyway, remember the, the yin-yang symbol? This idea of uh, there's good and evil that exist eternally, coexist eternally. Does the Bible teach that? Absolutely not. The Bible does not teach that good and evil coexist eternally. For instance, um, who is the capital O opposer of God in Scripture? Who is the, the one who is the ultimate opposer of God in Scripture? Satan himself, the devil, the evil one. Is he eternal as God is? No. No, he is not. Right? So, good and evil have not coexisted eternally. Evil is not as old as good. Okay? Good necessarily precedes evil, comes before evil. Since sin is missing the mark, the mark must exist, exist first, right? <laughs> you can't miss a mark if the mark isn't there. So the mark has preceded missing the mark. Without good, there can be no definition of evil. If we were to define evil in the most rudimentary terms, we could just say evil is doing that which isn't righteous or rebelling against that which is good. So even to define evil, good must exist first. Okay? Um, a lot of stuff to say on that, but we need to get into uh, Scripture instead of talking philosophically. Um, so where did sin come from? Let's look at Ezekiel 28 together. Everybody turn with me to Ezekiel 28. And let's start... Hmm. Let's start in verse 12. Let's do 12 to 19. Ezekiel 28, 12 to 19. Any takers out there uh, who would like to read this passage, Ezekiel 28, 12 to 19? Rex, go ahead. Got it. Starting in 12. Yes. Son of man, take up the lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord, God, you had the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The ruby, the topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, beryl and uh, onyx, and jasper. Lapis lazuli, mm -hmm. uh, the turquoise and the emerald, and the gold, the workmanship of your setting and sockets. As in you, on the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were the anointed cherub who covers. And I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until the righteousness Unrighteousness you found was found in you. By the abundance of your of your trade, you were internally filled with violence, and you sinned. 
Therefore, I have cast you as profane from the mountain of God, and I have destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. I'll believe it, 19. Verse 19. Oh, okay. Moving right along. Uh, 17. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You, cor- you, corrupted, you corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I put you before kings that they may see you. By the multitude of your iniquities and the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries. Therefore, I have brought fire from the midst of you. It was consumed, it has consumed you, and I have turned you to ashes on the earth in the eyes of all who see you. All who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have become terrified, and you, and you will cease to be forever. Okay. So, uh, there's a lot going on in these verses, but let's back up to the start of where Rex was reading, verses 12, well, mainly verse 12 there. Who is this addressed to? Ezekiel is being told this to take up a lamentation over who? The king of Tyre. King of Tyre. His, uh, his land was adjacent to the king of Wheel. Uh, so. And the crowd goes wild with that joke. Okay. Uh, the king of Tyre. But as you read through this, there's obviously someone else in view here, right? As you read through this text, not all of these things can apply to a human being. I mean, it kind of gets right into it. Uh, Look at verse 12 again, the last half. You had the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. That could never be said over a human being. Perhaps over Adam, it could be said. Uh, Perhaps. But king of Tyre, no way. You could never say that. He's born into sin. You couldn't say that he had the seal of perfection over him. Um, he was set among all these precious jewels. And look, what, is, what does it say in verse 14 that could never be said of a man? The start of verse 14. Anointed. Yeah, anointed cherub. What's a cherub? An angel. Yeah, an angel. An angel. Uh, we'll talk about this when we get into our section on angels. There are two classifications of angels that we see in Scripture. The seraphim and cherubim. We sing about them in the song, Holy, Holy, Holy. Seraphim and cherubim. Everybody, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but the, the seraphim proclaim, proclaim truths about God. The cherubim guard the throne of God. That's what we see in Scripture. And here it says... You were the anointed cherub who covers, and I placed you there. So he's speaking to the king of Tyre, but there's a deeper meaning here. And what we see, particularly in the Old Testament, is that behind rulers and authorities, there tends to be some sort of spiritual activity going on. And and apparently in this case... For the king of Tyre, Satan had so filled him that when you're speaking to the king of Tyre, it was in such a way you were speaking to Satan. Ezekiel was doing that. And calling out Satan according to what God had told him to say. And uh, as we read through this, we find out some things about the origin of Satan and the origin of sin. We see that there was an anointed cherub, an angel who was placed in a very precious, righteous place, a very beautiful place. And then what happened? Look at verse 15. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created 
By the way, that again speaks against dualism. Satan was created. Okay, From the day you were created until what happened? Wickedness found you. Yeah, wickedness was found where? In you. Yeah, to Satan. Wickedness was found in you. So look at this. Satan committed the first sin ever in the entire universe. That sin originated from within. As you look at verses 15 and 16 in particular, it says that evil was found in him and it originated internally. It says in the NASB in verse 16, by the abundance of your trade, you were internally filled with violence. So, if we're going to locate where the first sin came from, it would be very appropriate to say what? Where did that sin come from? Locate geographically. Within Satan. Within Satan. In Satan. So, this, we're approaching the answer to who, where did evil come from. We're never going to have a full, exhaustive, satisfactory answer based on perhaps our standards, wanting to know exactly how it came to be. But we can say clearly, right, from this passage, in Satan. That's where it came from. In Satan. Thoughts, questions on that, Jerry? Uh, we know that God and the angels and the there was something that had a will, a free will, if you want to call it that. The others that cannot, they don't have the will. It's just God. Mm-hmm. As, as supposed to suggest that anything with a free will, you know, in that has a free will can sin. Yeah. Because they have the potential to do that because they can learn about good and evil in that sense of the word. And evil will in the sense of Satan so seem to be God. Yeah. And that's what they want to do. Right. Yes. Yeah, and we'll see that most clearly in the other Old Testament passage that speaks of the origin of sin and Satan. Do you know what that other passage is? You got Ezekiel twenty eight and the other one is Here's an easy way. Well, I shouldn't say easy. This is how I remember things. I pick out something goofy and I remember that. So Ezekiel 28, 28 is twice as much as 14, 14 and 28. So if you can remember those chapters, that'll help you. Isaiah, Isaiah 14. Okay. Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14. We'll get to Isaiah 14 in a little bit. But those are the two Old Testament passages that speak of the origin of sin in Satan. Now I'm going to give you a couple things to jot down based on uh, what Jerry just said there. You can write down Revelation 12, verses 3 and 4. Revelation 12, 3 and 4. This also talks about sin at the beginning in Satan. Satan is pictured as a dragon, and it's said that the dragon swept away a third of the stars of heaven with his tail. We understand that imagery to be saying that Satan, the dragon, took a third of the angels with him when he fell. Um, You can also, and I'm going to have to look this one up. I can never remember this reference, so I'm sorry. Um, uh, It's in one of the Timothys. I know that much. And I believe it's a chapter 2. Uh... Oh, it's the word chosen. That's why I wasn't finding it. It uh-huh. is. Bear with me. Bear with me. Bear with me. That's the reverse. First <laughs> Timothy five. It's not chapter two. First Timothy five twenty one, uh, where Paul says to Timothy, "I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, and this is what he says, and of His chosen angels." So we see in Scripture there are some angels who are chosen. 
And then there are other angels who were swept away by Satan. If they're chosen, they didn't get swept away. So chosen by Michael and Gabriel. There you go. Yeah. And they never will be swept away, as Jerry was saying. They will never sin. They're his chosen, and they will not sin. Okay? First Timothy 5.21. His chosen angels. Okay, I gotta remember that. What's well, a funny way I can remember that? First, I know it's a Timothy, I got that in there. First Timothy 5. Oh, let's think about that one. Let's think about how I can memorize that. But uh, as far as the origin of sin is concerned, in Ezekiel 28, we can say very clearly, in Satan, where it comes from. Charles Ryrie says this. Now, this is a good quote to chew on. Sin was found in Satan, yet he was created perfect. God is not the blameworthy cause of Satan's sin, yet it was included in his plan. How's that for a paradox to munch on for a while, huh? Each one of those statements is a sound biblical statement. And we read it and we say it seems like that doesn't go together. But it does. This is what we have seen in Scripture. This is what it's revealed to us about the origin of sin. What do you think about that? (laughs) Well, it's kind of like what Jerry was saying, though. When God created beings, angels or man, they were given the ability to choose. And you can't can't give that ability to choose. It's not free if you limit it or you control it. So they had, we and the Satan had a choice to obey or disobey. Mm -hmm. I mean, sin is basically disobedience Mm -hmm. to God. What's obviously unique, though, about Satan's sin is there was no sinful influence. Right. Because you look at Adam and Eve. Ooh, got tangled up on my cord. You look at Adam and Eve, and they're, of course, they are responsible for their sin, just like we are. But they, there was a tempter. There was a tempter on the scene. Then you got Satan there, and in your translation might say Lucifer. Uh, that might be in Isaiah 14. The King James is where we get the word Lucifer. Um, but th- there he is in a perfect environment. No tempter. No tempter. It just all came from within, as it says. There was nothing on the outside drawing him, tempting him away, but just purely from within. Pretty wild. So we got him, he's second in the command, so to speak, I guess, as far as he's a, the top dog of the angelic world. And so internally, it seems like it's from things I've read, it's that he just... He starts craving the power because he's right up there, you know, with God as far as craving that power. And wait a minute, you know, I can do the same thing as he yeah. does. I got all this power. I can do that. Pride takes over, you know. And then, yeah, which we're so used to, but he went from perfect, never having pride, one millisecond at all, to that. Um, and, and yeah, Isaiah 14 most clearly spells that out where he was giving a, given a privileged position. He was privileged in his position. Okay? He was above and over. And he just started saying within himself, I will make myself like the most high. I will be like God. I will, I will, I will. And that's pride. Very clearly pride. Sure. Well, those in, won't, 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 huh? Yeah, right. <laughs> absolute power corrupts absolutely. Yes, right. <laughs> With that position, he was giving, God gave him a lot of power. Yeah. In that sense of the word. Uh, he had, once he crossed over into that sin world, his propensity to 
do sin was great because he could think it, create it, and then take it down to the creation of man mm -hmm. corrupted them in all types of areas. Yes, he had a great influence. Uh, uh, not only over humans, as we see with Adam and Eve, but apparently in the angelic world too, that a third went with him. So he had been given power and influence and used it for evil. Okay. Ezekiel 28, 17, if you're still there in Ezekiel 28, gives us a clue about what was happening within Lucifer, Satan, the devil, whatever name you want to ascribe to him, causing him to ultimately rebel. What do we see in verse 17? He became curved. He like got vain. Corrupted <laughs> himself. Yeah. Yes. His heart was lifted up. Lifted up heart. Pride. To be puffed up. Um, arrogant. That's what happened in his heart. He was lifted up internally. In 1 Timothy 3, 6, Paul seems to relate the sin of conceit to the devil's sin. This is a very interesting thing. You don't have to turn there. I'll go ahead and read it to you. But what comes to your mind when you think 1 Timothy 3? What's in that passage? 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. Those are the two passages that talk about elders. elders. Good. Qualification for elders. Listen to this. 1 Timothy 3, 6. An elder must not be a new convert so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. So there's a correlation there between giving, given a position, having your heart lifted up, and falling into condemnation. Okay? Between what happened to Satan and what happens to us, not just elders, not just deacons, not just anybody, but all of us, when we get just a little whiff of power <laughs> happens to all, all of us that we're tempted to go that direction. The uh, King James Version says the sin consists of being lifted up with pride. Lifted up. Lifted up. Okay. Does Lucifer show up in Ezekiel 28 or Isaiah 14 in the King James? Someone tell me. Someone know the answer to that? Does name Lucifer? Do what? The name Lucifer. Yeah, the name Lucifer. It's just in that translation. It must be Isaiah 14 if no one's seen it. Okay, um, this is from the book Angels, Elect, and Evil. It's the book that I most highly recommend when it comes to the study of angels by Fred Dickinson. He says, reflecting upon his God-endowed beauty, he, Satan, became enthralled with himself and was lifted up with pride. Sin uses God's gifts for selfish ends. He also perverted other angels from God's way. His habitation was defiled by his sin also. And that's in reference to verse 18, where it says, You profaned your sanctuaries of Satan. By his sin, his sanctuaries were profaned. Wow, wow. That's a good book to have. If you don't have a book on angels, get that book. There you go. See Fred Dickinson. Okay. The next place we see Satan after this event is in the garden. So let's all turn to Genesis 3 together. So Satan sins, profanes his sanctuaries. He is kicked out of his realm. He is set for destruction. God says as much there in Ezekiel 28 that he will be destroyed. That's his end that's been ordained. And now Genesis 3. This is what we're really familiar with. Let's see what happens here. Who would read verses 1 to 7 for us in Genesis 3? Walker, can you, your mouth able to handle that? Yeah. He just got his wisdom teeth taken out. So There was his wisdom. He 
Formerly wise guy, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will surely not die, or you not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat it, eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for her food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Okay, very good. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It is, it is King James that used I, I just pulled that up too. Yeah, it's a King James and New King James, Isaiah 14, 12. Most translations say shining star, day star, morning star, etc. And uh, the King James in Isaiah 14 says, oh, Lucifer. So that's where we get the name Lucifer. His temptation came from within as he volitionally rebelled, as we just saw in Ezekiel 28, following his own pride. And from that moment on, the devil is the tempter of man, as seen here. So as man is created, Satan becomes the tempter. Yes, Walker. So if you were to put the Bible on a timeline, right? yep. um, Satan being uh, Satan getting sin, making sin, basically. That's like the earliest we see of pretty much anything, right? Yeah. Um, if we go back to... Because, I mean, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the first thing on the timeline. And it doesn't talk about the creation of angels in Genesis 1 or Genesis 2. We do see angels included in the creation order in Psalm 1, 47, 48, 49, 50, right in there. I think there's a couple Psalms in there that talk about the creation order, and that includes angels. Um, so it's pretty early on. Yeah, I mean, we, we don't know if... Satan's sin came before or after the creation of Adam and Eve. Um, likely before. We just don't know. But I don't think. So anyway, yeah, that's a rough timeline for you, I guess. Okay. Other thoughts or questions? That, that kind of stuff? So the words that Scripture commonly uses are the devil or Satan interchangeably. And mm -hmm. it's just that one... Time where Lucifer kind of shows up, but not really because. Yeah, yeah. So what what we see in the Old Testament is a reference to angels in a variety of ways. So angels in the Old Testament can be called Elohim. You guys recognize that word? Yeah. How, what's that word all about? It's God's Okay. Yeah. So that's a word that actually means gods. But what's interesting in the Old Testament is you'll see this word also meaning God himself. So it can be in reference to false gods. It can be referenced to the one true God. It can be in reference to angels. And it can be in reference to human judges. There are a couple places in the Torah where that's the case. One of them talks about bringing your case before the human judge. And it says, bring your case before the Elohim and he will make the decision. 
Now, uh, what we deduce from that is that these human judges in Israel were acting on behalf of Yahweh, uh, the one true God, and that's why it phrases it that way. Um, we also see the word, and more commonly for God, it's the word El, which is just the shortened version of Elohim. Elohim is plural. It literally means gods. It can sometimes mean God, Yahweh, singular, and sometimes it just uses the word El in reference to God. El Shaddai, uh, etc. There are all kinds of El Hebrew words that talk about God's character. Um, why did I start talking about all that? We're talking about words for angels. Okay, <laughs> Elohim, that's a, that's a common word. But then there are also um, references to angels as stars. Stars. So the morning stars shouted for joy. We understand that to be the host of angels shouted for joy, the morning stars. Uh, and here in uh, Isaiah 14, it talks about the morning star, the morning star, not the multitude of stars, but the morning star. And that is in reference to Satan. No idea why the King James translated that Lucifer. No idea. It's not, it's not a, a special rendering of any Hebrew word. It's just the word for the morning star. Um, but that's, that's what we have there. Okay. Um, and there are different words for Satan. In, uh, oh, you were talking, talking about Satan. Satan or the devil usually um, is what he's called. But in the Old Testament, he can be referenced as a morning star or a star of the day because Satan is an angel, right? A fallen angel, but an angel. So he can be referenced as a demon, an angel, by his name, Satan or the devil, by the image of a dragon. We see that in the New Testament. The great serpent of old. We see that in the New Testament in reference to Satan. He has many names, but it's the same, same person. Okay? Yeah. Same being. Hmm. All right. Good. Didn't really want to talk about that anymore. I feel like I chopped that up a little bit. Satan committed the sin of pride when he declared that he would be like the Most High. That's Isaiah 14. Let's go ahead and turn to Isaiah 14. We can catch that perspective on what was going on when sin arose in his heart. And look at verse, um, let's see, look at verses 3 and 4. We saw in Ezekiel 28, it was being addressed to the king of Tyre. Who's this being addressed to? King of Babylon. The king of Babylon, okay. See what I mean about behind earthly kings, there's spiritual activity going on? And we see the same agent behind the king of Babylon as we do behind the king of Tyre. These are 300, 250 years apart. Isaiah is before Ezekiel. So there's centuries that separate them. But we see the same person being spoken to behind the king. Let's look at... Um, starting at verse 11. Let's read verses 11 through 20. Who would read 11 to 20? Who's got it? Isaiah 14, 11 to 20. Jim, go ahead. Your pomp is brought down to Sheol, and the sound of your string instruments. The maggot is spread under you, and worms cover you. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground. You 
who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the congregation on the farther sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you, saying, Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities, who did not open the house of his prisoners? All the kings of the nations, all of them sleep in glory, every one in his own house. But you are cast out of your grave, like an abominable branch, like the garment of those who are slain, thrust through with a sword, who go down to the stones of the pit like a corpse trodden underfoot. You will not be joined with them in burial, because you have destroyed your land and slain your people. The brood of evildoers shall never be named. Right. Pretty uh, strong judgment there, huh? So the sin of Adam and Eve, again, putting your mind back in Genesis, was the same as the sin of Satan, as we see here. Thinking that we can be like God if we commit certain acts is not only sin, it's the original sin. This is what uh, we read just a minute ago, what Satan said to Adam and Eve, well, to Eve. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You will be like God. So take this and eat. He's, he's just afraid. He doesn't want you to be like him. Well, that's the original sin is to be, I will make myself like the Most High. I will have my throne above the stars of heaven. That has uh, been Satan's ploy all along, is to seek power and to get men to do the same. We see this over and over and over again through world history, through every culture. Of course, we're living in our culture now, and we see it all in our culture, that people want to be their own gods. They do not want to submit to another authority. They do not want to be held accountable morally for the things they've done. They want to answer to themselves only. And that's the original sin, to want to be God. It's, it's interesting. He was basically honest in what he said. He said, you'll be like God in that you'll know good and evil. Mm. But they just focused on be like God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what's tempting. Oh, I get to be like God. Well, that's tempting to fall in... Well, at this point, they weren't fallen. That's tempting to creatures. Yeah. It's like, oh, I get to be like the Creator. And the truth is that in the, they were made in the image of God. And in that sense, they already were like Him in the ways that He designed. They bore His image. But it wasn't enough, was it? They had not yet recognized good and evil because they're evil. Yes. The only evil that there was was right before them. And they only had a, an intellectual relationship with evil, not an experiential relationship with evil. And then they fell and had an experience, didn't they? As we all did. Other thoughts on that? Questions on these things? A lot of philosophical quandaries here. <laughs> Melissa. Isn't that this basically the root of any sin that anyone ever does? It's not like saying we know better than God, even if it's just for a moment. Yeah, it was either Augustine or Calvin. I know there lots of time separated them, but their theology was similar. Uh, one of them said, pride is the mother that's pregnant with all the sins. 
And that's what we see, right? You trace back every sin. Where does it go? To, I want to be my own God. That's where, where it all comes from. It's a good quote. I'll find out who said that. Jim. Uh, don't mean to chase rabbits, but do you believe when Satan was in the garden that he had already fallen? Was he already cast out of heaven? Sure seems that way. Yeah. But yeah. he was still beautiful, more than all the other... Besides, I can't remember, I can't quote it, but the serpent was more beautiful than all the other creatures or something like crafty. that. Crafty. Snakes. <laughs> I, I can think of where it says crafty. The serpent was more crafty than all the others. I thought it said. Yeah, I don't think, it, I don't think there's a reference to his beauty. I people make a case that he okay. wasn't cast out yet because he was still beautiful. Uh, Gotcha. He probably didn't crawling on the ground in the dust like a snake yet. No, that that's came part of the curse. Yeah, that's right. That came so with his judgment. Try to make a case that that's when he was hmm. when he was cast out. I don't know. Well, the sin happened in heaven, and we see in Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14 that he sinned while he was in heaven, and there he shows up in the. Uh, forest, whatever they were in. <laughs> and uh, he was no longer in heaven because he's not omnipresent. So it seems like that casting out happened definitely okay. before. Yeah. yeah. Genesis 3, what says, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals. Oh, it's right there in the 3 1. Yeah. Yeah, there may be some other texts. We should bring those up and look at them. That'd be good. Um, in their original state, Adam and Eve had wills that were not enslaved to sin, they were free to choose. Okay. It's an important aspect of all this, going back to before the fall. Remember, we have to understand how God created them to understand what got messed up. So, before the fall, their wills, of course, were not enslaved to sin. God created them and said they're good. It was very good. So, there wasn't anything within them that was tied to sin. Using her free cognitive ability and reason, Eve decided to disobey God. Adam witnessed and joined in. I hope you notice there in Genesis 3, it says that she gave some to her husband who was with her. That means like within an arm's distance, right? Because she handed him the fruit. Okay. So Adam was right there and joined in. Um, in my uh, book for husbands, I talk about this aspect of the whole fall thing. And Adam... Seeing what she was doing, breaking the one command of God was essentially, now that what we understand spiritually came, came through the fall, and what God warned them about, and the day you eat of it, you will surely die. When he saw her taking the fruit, he was essentially seeing her put a gun to her head. And he just let it happen. He was there and let it happen. Weren't sure done? Just push the ladder and bend over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. So... Um, <laughs> Awful. Oh, Rex. Okay, got another slide here. Oh, yeah, this is a good, good place. So I think we'll end on this one, but we'll take our time thinking through each of these three. Wayne Grudem says that Adam and Eve, uh, their sin, gave wrong answers to these three things. What is true, what is right, and who am I? So let's think about each one of these. How did their sin give a wrong answer to what is true? It didn't become God. Well, 
How about what? I mean, let's think about what they were thinking in that moment. What was in their mind as they took of the fruit that was false? They were thinking they were becoming. Yeah, I mean, their motivation was wrong. Their goal was wrong. Um, there was just a, a very fundamental discontentment with God's design. That was wrong. Calling God a liar. Calling God a liar, yes. Um, what, and what was the command that God gave them? You may eat of the garden, but not of the tree. Okay, so you can eat of these, but not of that. And Eve, when she repeated that command to Satan, how did she phrase it? You shouldn't even touch it. She added to God's command. You can't even touch it. God never said you couldn't touch it. Now, would it be wise to not touch it? That would be wise. But she was quoting God, and she misquoted God, didn't she? Yeah. That's another way to give a wrong answer to what is true. Didn't carefully handle the Word of God. And think of how tiny the Word of God was at that point. <laughs> one command. Just hold it. Just one little yeah, baby one command. Job. That's right. That's right. And couldn't even handle that. Isn't that something? What about what is right? How did the sin give a wrong answer to what is right? It might seem obvious, but see if you can articulate it. How did Adam and Eve sin give a wrong answer to what is right? God had given a command, which defined which defines right and wrong. It defined their whole life. Defined, defined. You know, I picture in my mind that you know the Garden of Eden was probably this ginormous place. There's just one little tree right in the middle, mm -hmm. and it's like that you got all this other stuff. But no, go for that one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? So God had, God had said very clearly, don't. Stop it. Yeah. Don't, don't even think about it. Yeah. Right? And man had to pervert that. Yes. So. There, there was just, again, a fundamental discontentment with what God had said. Yeah. And what God says defines what is right. And that's all you need, right? You don't need anything extra. You don't need a second opinion. Yeah, they chose to believe. Satan instead of God. Yes. That's it's almost worship. Yeah. I choose to worship him, not you. And isn't it amazing? An amazing testament to the limitation of man that as soon as there was one other voice, they believed that other voice. Mm -hmm. There's no other voice. It was there was God and there was Satan. <laughs> they were doing okay when it was just God, but you bring in one other voice. Should have been a way because Adam had been out there naming all the animals and stuff, and this is the first time one of them spoke to him. Yeah, that's right, yeah. It should have been a clue, like, hey, <laughs> at least a, an orange flag, if not a red flag, yeah. But I, also, I also think that this points to something that is foundational that a lot of people don't grasp, and that is... The evil is not something in and of itself. It's not, you know, we have an equal amount of evil opposing an yeah. equal amount of right evil. That is, yeah. Yeah, that, that is not how it is. Yeah. The evil is a perversion mm -hmm. of good. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. it, so we all want to be loved. We all want all this thing. There, there is a right way to be loved. But there's also a wrong way to be loved. Mm -hmm. There's a wrong way to love others. Yeah. So it's, in other words, you know, Satan for as beautiful as he may be, um, is, is offering tainted goods. Yeah, yep, absolutely. Right. 
as, as slick as it sounds. Right. Yeah. Right, as pretty as it might look. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Joel Osteen, I'm talking to you. <laughs> yeah. I'll let him know you said so. Thank you. Uh, Jim. Yeah. You know, it, it, it also gives us an answer that sin is not, uh, well, I say it's not creative, but it's, it's not an inanimate object. Yeah. Televisions aren't evil. Yeah. Drums, guitars are not evil. You know, I've, I've heard, you know, all that, you probably have too. Yeah. We're always making things, inanimate objects, yeah. to be evil. Mm -hmm. And there, it's sin, evil, comes from within. Yes. Money is not evil. It's taking, yeah. taking something God has given as a good gift. Going back to that, uh, was it, I think it was the Dickinson quote. Sin perverts God's good gifts. Right. Yeah, food is an evil. Drink is an evil. But all of it can be twisted that way. The way we did it was evil. Yeah, yep, what you do with it. Just like uh, people who say uh, uh, guns, guns are evil. It's a tool, it's an instrument. It's how you use the instrument. Okay. I've known people who wouldn't let you play board games because they had dice. No. <laughs> card games because cards are evil. Yes. Uh, I mean, there's all kinds of inanimate yeah. objects that we call evil. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Finally, who am I? How did their sin give a wrong answer to who am I? Jerry, not Jerry. <laughs> my dad's name, Jerry Howard. My dad, who is now the West City Alderman for the town of Smithton, Missouri, <laughs> he ran for an election and didn't tell me. Uh, my mother-in-law sent me a text and said, "Did you see that? You're, did you congratulate your dad?" Yeah, but he won. Uh, he won thirty-six to fifteen, so that gives you an idea of how small the town is. So. But he dominated thirty-six to fifteen. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. So. Anyway, okay, get back to this. Uh, their identity. Let's think about Adam and Eve's identity that God had given them. How did that get wrongly used or pushed against in their sin? Well, after they ate the fruit, they noticed they were naked and built clothes, so mm -hmm. that had something to do with it. Yep, right. That's good. It's good to point that out. They were not ashamed before, and then they became ashamed. Good. In uh, the genealogy of Christ that Luke gives, he gets all the way down to Adam. He goes all the way back to Adam. And he's talking about guys, uh, this guy is the son of this guy, this guy is the son of that guy, etc. Then what does he say for Adam? Son of God. He is the son of God. He had an identity as a child of God. Because he's directly created by God in a perfect environment. And as a child of God, looking to God as Father, seeing your identity there, there should be a fundamental trust. Submission. Submission, right? All of that going on. But instead, it was seeking an identity outside of what your father had said. Going after another. So that's... That's how they kicked against their identity through their sin. Give, giving wrong answers to what is true, what is right, and who am I. Okay. We just have a couple minutes left. Next week we're going to get into the headship aspect. Not just that sin had an origin, which it did. But now we've got to get into how did that then spread to all of us? Why did it spread to all of us the way it did? But uh, for now we can do... Two minutes, maybe 90 seconds of questions. Uh, if anybody's got anything, Tyler. 
Um, yeah, this whole lesson really speaks to uh, Isaiah 45 7 and how people walk in his app. You can speak to that for a second and just look at that. Um, Isaiah, it's probably similar to Proverbs 16.4. You read that one, I'll get the Proverbs one. Isaiah 45.7 says, The one forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being and creating calamity, or the King James says, evil. I am the Lord who does all things. Okay, Isaiah 45.7 says that God creates darkness and evil. Uh, Proverbs 16.4 says, Yahweh has made everything for its own purpose, even the wicked. For the day of evil. So here you've got a couple of passages in the Old Testament saying that God created evil. How do you reconcile that? Does that give you any kind of, like, I don't know, heartburn? A little bit. He created Satan, he created man. And that's, that's where evil, that's where sin, evil originated. So in that sense, we should be okay with saying, yeah, God created evil for its purpose. Yeah. Was evil ever outside of the plan of God? No. No, what? Before God... He it, but he... <laughs> no, before God made one creative act, was evil in his plan? Yes. Yes, it was. For his glory. For his glory. That's it. That's it. Why does God do anything that he does? To glorify himself. Because if Jesus Christ was, his plan was to come and be the redeemer and the mediator from time immemorial. If we've been chosen and elected from time immemorial, God knew from the very beginning that there would be evil. Yes. Yeah. And one second, Walker. Let me just make this statement and I'll come back. So... We also know that Scripture says God's not the author of evil. Right? Is yeah. God the author of evil? No. Okay, all right, good. So he's not the author of evil. Yet, in his sovereign freedom, is he responsible for the existence of evil? I think we have to say, yes, he created. He is resp- he's the responsible agent. He's not the author of it. So don't hear me say he's the author of it. But in his sovereign freedom, even if you just think, well, God... God only knew that his free creature would do it. Now, he knew beforehand with absolute certainty that a free creature would do it. But you still have to reckon with the fact that he still created, didn't he? Knowing what he knew. So in his sovereign freedom, because he's not bound by anyone to create, is he? In his sovereign freedom, is he still responsible for evil in the world? Yes. It was a part of his plan all along to glorify himself through the cross that we would see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Walk. So this might not be important, but I noticed that in Ezekiel 28, when he was talking to the king, he didn't really say anything of, like, he didn't say Lucifer or Morningstar or anything of that. But in Isaiah, when he was talking to the king of Babylon, he straight up said the Morningstar, the son of God. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. The Old Testament has a lot of interesting phrases, uh, and I don't know Hebrew. I So, yeah, it, it's... Yeah, it's good to wrestle with that stuff. So good, good to search it out. Okay. It says that God sent an evil spirit to Saul. Yep. Right. Yep. Um, and in Isaiah or in Second uh, Kings twenty-two, maybe it's First Kings twenty-two, um, God wanted to confuse a king, and he said, "Who's going to go do this?" And an evil spirit came up and said, "I'll lie to him." And God said, "Go ahead." <laughs> so, gotta reckon with that stuff. Okay, it's there.
Thank you for being attentive. Let's go worship the Lord together in song and listening to the sermon.